We are on Ksubis Chav Beis Amar Aleph 22A2 in the Art School Gemara, beginning a new Mishnah. We are coming back to our discussion of Pesha Asar Hua Pesha Hitter that uh, we believe people, we were discussing in a previous case, uh, witnesses, but also just uh, people uh, outside of being witnesses for making statements that sort of make it worse for themselves. And then if they are able to uh, explain it, and qualify it so then we'll believe them for their entire story. That's referred to a Pesha Asr or a Pesha Hitter. And so our mission will have a few cases of a Pesha Asr or a Pesha Hitter. And then our Gemara will actually be discussing the source for such an idea. So says the Mishnah, What happens if you have the following case? A woman comes to court and she discusses herself. She's not a witness discussing somebody else. She's talking about herself. And she says, I'm a married woman. Uh, now that she says that she's married, so now she's forbidden to everybody in the world except for to her husband. But she says I'm married. But then she says, we never knew that she was married. Then she qualifies it and says, but I was divorced. But I got divorced. So now I'm able to marry whomever I want. Now menace. So she's believed. As the Mishnah explains, because the very mouth that says that she was forbidden when she says that she was married also says that she's permitted when she says that she is divorced. We believe her entire statement. However, if there were witnesses um, who testify that she was married, that initially she was married, so then we're not basing our understanding about whether or not she's married based on her own mouth, based on her own uh, statements. No, it's based on other outside witnesses, so therefore we're not going to believe her to say that she got divorced. She has to bring proof that she was divorced, bring the divorce document. But we're not going to base it on uh, her statement alone. So then she's not believed because our our understanding about the fact that she was married doesn't come from her, from her mouth alone. That is case number one. Case number two. If a woman says, that I was captured. I was captured um, by others and therefore because she was taken into captivity, we, according to Allah, we assume Obviously, if we could prove otherwise, it's different. But if we assume that she was raped, and if she's raped, so then she's disqualified from marrying a Kohen. She's not allowed to marry a Kohen. So anybody who's taken into a woman who's taken into captivity, we assume that she was raped, and therefore she cannot marry a Kohen. A Kohen is not allowed to marry her. But she says, I was captured, but you should know that I'm pure. Uh, nobody, I wasn't raped. Uh, nothing uh, Nothing happened to me. So now menace. She's believed. Why? For the same reason, because the only way we know that she was that she was taken into captivity was from her own mouth, through her own statement. So if it's her own statement, so then we have to believe the whole thing. She could have just kept quiet. She could have said nothing. Uh, and then she would be permissible to marry a Kohen. Now that she said she was taken into captivity, but nothing happened, so we have to believe that entire statement. However, adds the Mishnah, the in an MNS, if there are witnesses who testify that she was taken into captivity, and then she says, but you should know that nothing happened to me, we don't believe her, because it's not through her mouth alone that we know that she was taken into captivity. No, it was through the witnesses. adds the Mishnah, the last line, which we'll discuss not now, but in a future class. If after she got married, let's say she comes to court and she says... Uh, that I was divorced, I got married, I was married, and then I got divorced. Whatever the case is, or the second case also, we'll see in the Gemara what this is referring to. 
Uh, and she says that uh, after she gets, she then gets married to somebody, and then witnesses come forward afterwards, after the fact, and say that, uh, uh, and they testify. So then she does not, in fact, have to leave her husband. She doesn't have to leave her husband. Um, they testify that she was originally married, or whatever the case is, or or that she was taken into captivity. Uh, she does not have to get divorced. She doesn't have to leave her husband if the witnesses came after she was married. And again, the Gemara will discuss this last line in greater detail. Either way, we have two cases here in the Mishnah, the case of where she comes to court. And again, this is all talking about herself. This is not testimony about somebody else. This is about herself, where she says that she was married, and then she says, but she got divorced, uh, which if there were had witnesses that she was married, so then it wouldn't be good enough for her to just say that she got divorced. She would have to prove it. Uh, but we believe her in this case because it's based on her own testimony. And similarly, when she says that she was taken into captivity, but she nothing happened to her. She wasn't uh, raped. Uh, so therefore, um, uh, we believe her. But if there, we've already had uh, testimony from somebody else that she was taken into captivity, so then we would not believe her. So the Gemara wants to know, what exactly is the source for this concept that we've been discussing throughout this chapter, throughout this parrot? What's the source for Pesha Asar? Amar Ravasi, Ravasi says, How do we know that this is a biblical concept? So the Gemara says it comes from the following verse. Um, says the Pasuk, uh, That uh, when a father says about his own daughter, uh, that it says about his own daughter that he gave his daughter yeah, the father has the right to, to uh, marry off his, his daughter, who's a minor, and he gave his daughter uh, to be married to Le'ish, to this, to, sorry, to a person, so then that makes her forbidden to everybody in the world, because we don't know who it is, and we know that she's married, so now she's forbidden to everybody. We don't know who the person is, so he's basically saying that his own daughter is uh, not able to be with anybody, because we don't know who this is, and then when he says, Hazeh Hitira, but then he goes and he says, but it's this person. So then that makes it permissible. So basically, what is this? This is a Pesha Asar. Because initially he's saying, the father is saying that she's not allowed to marry anybody. I haven't mentioned uh, who she's married to. Uh, so now she's not allowed to marry anybody. And then he says, but, but it's this person. It's this specific person. So then because it's all based on his own testimony, so we have to believe him through and through in the, in, with regards to the entire entire testimony to say that she's permissible to that particular person. Now, it is important to point out that this is not exactly a, a great analogy. Tosus points this out. It's not like when the father qualifies and he says it's this person that he's undoing or uprooting his original statement. That is that is not <clears throat> exactly what is, what is going on here. He's just qualifying, he's clarifying whom uh, she, she was married to uh, and so it's slightly different. So Tosus points this out, and he gives different explanations of how this could, in fact, be the source, but it's, it's not for now. We'll get into that uh, at a later point in time. But the Gemara says, says the Gemara, wait a minute, okay, even if you want to tell me that that's the source, Lama Likra, why do we need a verse? Svarihi, hu asrav hu shari la. It's logical, it's logical. He is the one who prohibited her, therefore he has the ability to make her permissible. It's something which is based on logic. Now, this is a fascinating statement of the Gemara. This comes up a few times in the Gemara, where the Gemara has a line, why do I need a verse to teach me a, a concept? It's something which is logical. Whoa. 
So is this true? Is this true that um, things that are that are logical, they don't need a source in the Torah? And also, could we just come up with our own concepts based on just our own logic? How far do we take this? That anything which is logical, so how far does that go? Is, is it also even true that anything which is logical should be a biblical obligation? For example, the Gemara tells us elsewhere that reciting blessings, brachos, before one eats, that is a svara. That's something which is logical. You should ask God for it before before you eat from it. Well, most opinions are that that's a rabbinic idea. That's not biblical. So it seems to be that a svara, just a logical argument, is not always biblical. Uh, it does seem from our Gemara, at least, that it's if it's something which is logical, so then uh, it would be biblical and we wouldn't even need a verse. Uh, but this is a very fascinating line. When do we say uh, that something is such a svara, such a logical idea, that we don't even need a verse? So perhaps maybe it's only if um, everybody in the world would agree to it. It's, it's a concept. You taught it to you. I just asked somebody in the street, would this make sense? So they would say yes. Uh, but this also this requires much... Uh, much discussion and analysis. It's a very important, important topic. Um, but the point of the Gemara, in the end of the day, in the end of the day, the Gemara says, what is the source for the concept of Pesha Asar? The source for this concept is really based on logic. It's not based on a verse. It's based on logic. It's logical. Uh, they didn't have to come to court. The fact that they came to court believed them on their entire statement. So the Gemara now goes on a little bit of a tangent and says, well, okay, well, what do we do with the verse? <laughs> What's the verse that we quoted? What is that there to teach us? Moving on to 22A3 in the art scroll. Rav says the following. How do we know that a father's believed to say that his daughter is not allowed to be with, uh, to say that his, father, his daughter is married and therefore is forbidden to everybody based on this verse? As biti nasati leish. Uh, that he's given this uh, to this man. He's given his wife, his daughter, a, as a wife to this man. So this is a source that the fathers believed. It's important to know that maybe this is in combination with the fact that since he has the ability to marry her off, that's why he's believed the concept of biyado. He's in control. It's uh, he could just any day he could go and mar- marry his daughter off uh, to somebody. Again, we've pointed this out in the past that this, we don't do this today. We discourage, highly discourage this today um, to, to do such a thing to a minor. But he has that ability. It's biyado. It's in his control. And so therefore, the verse tells us that he's believed to tell us that she is married. Hazeh lamali. Why do I need the word hazeh to this person? What does that mean? Mi teaches us This has to do with uh, other laws of within the context of that verse of Motsi Shimra. That, that, that verse is discussing the context of uh, when a person is found to be accused of saying that um, that uh, the wife was was really not a virgin, that she wasn't a basulas, so what happens in those circumstances? And so the Gemara here is telling us that those rules only apply to the original husband. But if we're discussing the Yavam, getting back to the topic of Yavamos, the brother-in-law who does Yibam, who marries the sister-in-law after the husband passes away, complicated topic of Yibam, uh, so then the Yavam, the brother-in-law, does not, uh, this whole topic of Motsi Shimra does not apply to the brother-in-law. It's really just a, a side point. Okay, either way, the main point here is that the source for the concept of Pesha Asr, or Pesha Hitter, that if you're going to sort of uh, make things worse for yourself by testifying about yourself, 
so then we will believe you for your entire statement. You could qualify, you could explain your statement, and uh, we'll believe you for the entire statement. So on that note, we now discuss a sort of different topic, a slightly, potentially slightly different topic, um, about the concept called an amasla, which is that uh, maybe, uh, says the Gemara, maybe we'll also forget about uh, Pesha Asar, at least the classic Pesha Asar. Uh, but let's say we have a situation where in a regular Pesha Asar, it's where you make a statement, statement A, and statement B uh, halakhically goes against the ramifications of statement A, but it really sort of qualifies and explains statement A. And it will have a different halakhic application. So for example, when you say that you were married, you're not allowed to be with anybody. You're not allowed to get married to anybody else. Um, but then when you say that you got divorced, so saying you got divorced does not negate the original statement that you're married. Both are true. You were married and then you got divorced. However, the halakhic ramifications are very different. When you're married, you're not allowed to get married to somebody else. When you're divorced, you are. Uh, so we believe you based on the concept of Pesha Asr. In the next couple of cases, we're discussing cases where you just totally outright undo your original statement. Statement A is you were married. And then you say, I was never married. It's not true. So there, the classic Pesha Asr does not apply because what right do you have just to uproot your original statement? You said you were married. What right do you have to now say that you were never married before? You already, you just told us you were married. So maybe the only time that we'll believe you is if you have what's referred to as an amasla. You have a reason. You explain why is it that I said my original statement. There's a certain reason why I lied, essentially, in the beginning. So let's see these cases in the Gemara. If a woman says that she was married and then she says, No, I was never married. I was single the whole time. She's believed. Why? Asks the Gemara. I don't understand. How could you, how, why should we believe her? She first said that she was married. And so she, she rendered herself forbidden that she's not allowed to get married. Uh, because she's already married. So what right to, why she believes her second statement? So the Gemara answers, because she gave a plausible reason. She gave a logical reason. It made sense. She gave it, explained why she lied originally. As we'll see in a certain case, uh, in a minute, uh, maybe she lied because, uh, she, other people wanted to marry her that she didn't feel was uh, a good fit. Uh, and, uh, she was afraid, too afraid to say that, uh, she just was not interested. And so therefore she had to lie and she said that she was married. Uh, and so, similar to, uh, other cases that we've had in the past where you, you have to, you have to lie, uh, because, uh, you're out of, out of this fear, out of this fear, uh, as we'll see in the Gemara momentarily. It's also taught in Abraisa. In general, she's not believed to say originally she was married. Then for her to go back on it and say that she was single the whole time, we don't believe her unless she gives a plausible explanation for the reason as to why she lied. And the Gemara explains, There was a certain uh, situation of a prestigious woman who was also very beautiful. And there were people there who were trying to run after her to get married to her. And so she told them, They said, I'm already, I'm already married. And then we find out later that she's, uh, she's getting married. She has her wedding date. So they, the sage said to her, What's going on here? How can you do this? You told us that you were already married. How, how are you getting married again? So she tells them, 
Originally, the people that were running after me were people who were not a good fit. That they, they, it wasn't good. They weren't eligible. So therefore, I lied about it. I said I was already married. But now I found somebody that I really like uh, and is, uh, is a good fit. So now I'm getting married. And we believe her for that. We do believe her for that. This law was brought in front of the rabbis in Usha. Moving on to 22A4. This is true. If you give a logical explanation, so then she is in fact believed. Let's uh, conclude with one last uh, question and back and forth. <coughs> Excuse me. Shmuel now asks Rav. Shmuel asks Rav. It's true. We believe in this concept of an amasla. An amasla is that you could, she has the ability to undo her original statement if she has a plausible explanation. But what happens in the following case? Amr Tmeani, let's say you have a husband and wife. And the wife tells her husband that I am Tamei, I am in Nida. I am in Nida, which means that uh, she has her, uh, her period and therefore they're not allowed to have sexual relations. But then afterwards she goes back on it. Then she says, you know what? I'm not really in Nida. It's not true. Mahu, what is the law? What is the law? Shmuel asks this uh, to Rav and says, what is the law in this case? Why would this case be any different? Why would this case be any different than the previous case? He agrees to the previous case. Why would this case be different? So some of the commentators explain that this case is different because is what plausible explanation could you give? What is she going to say? The reason why I said that I was in Nida was because I wasn't interested, because I was sick. Um, so let her say that. Let her say that she was sick, that she wasn't interested that night. Uh, why didn't she tell the truth? She should have told the truth. And so therefore this is... Uh, it's harder to come up with in this case a plausible ex- explanation as to why she lied to say that she was a nida. There are also other reasons uh, that are given by the commentators as to why this is a different case, but uh, we don't have time to get into that. But that's one explanation. Amar Le, Rav answers back, what's the, Shmuel asks, what's the law? In this case where she says that she was a nida, and then, then she goes back and she says, no, it's not true, I'm tahora, I'm pure and, and permissible to you. Rav says back to Shmuel, Rav says, she still believed. It's fine, we could believe her, it's acceptable, and she, she's giving a, a good excuse as to why she lied, and therefore we believe her. And says the Gemara, Shmuel reviewed this halacha, this ruling of Rav, 40 times so that he wouldn't forget it. Which comes to show you how much we have to review. He reviewed this 40 times so he shouldn't forget this. And nevertheless, Shmuel never applied this for himself uh, in a situation that he was in where his wife told him that she was a nida, that she had her period and therefore they cannot have marital relations and then later she said that she was not a nida. Uh, Shmuel himself was stringent and said that he would not rely on this uh, for himself. Okay, this uh, concludes. We're on the top of Chav Beis 22b1 in the article Gemara. We'll continue with a, uh, a new topic, a new discussion in the Gemara in the next recording.